The weekend of June 22, 2007, Canadian pro wrestler Chris Benoit committed the horrific double murder-suicide of his wife Nancy, his son Daniel, and himself in Fayetteville, Georgia. This case has sparked controversy and conspiracy for years, specifically about what pushed Chris to the edge. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Dr. Crime, a true crime podcast hosted by me, Rebecca, a criminologist, and me, Justice, a doctor of forensic psychology. You won't find clickbait titles, selfie thumbnails, or spooky music to set the mood here, but what you will find is ethical true crime with extra focus on empathy, accuracy, and a viewpoint from professionals. So grab your coffee and let's get started. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 5 of Dr. Crime. I do want to give a quick trigger warning. Today we will be discussing graphic themes, including the death of a child and substance abuse. Before we begin, I am just curious. Justice, did you watch pro wrestling growing up? <laughs> um, very much so. I had a brother that was nine years older than me. Um, my adopted dad watched wrestling. I was a huge Goldberg fan. Um, <laughs> still kind of love him. I actually um, used to take the, my mom's step aerobic stool because I grew up in the 90s. And I would jump off the back of the couch and pretend I was Goldberg or Stone Cold Steve Austin <laughs> and try and like um, destroy my brother. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I watched a lot of wrestling. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So I also definitely watched a ton of pro wrestling growing up. My dad, my like dad side of the family is all like, you know, rednecks, but um, (laughs) we watched it a ton. I distinctly remember being like rock bottomed in a pool and pretending to be DX with my sister. (laughs) Anyways, let's get started. Christopher Michael Benoit was born May 21st, 1967 in Canada. When he was 12, his father took him to his first pro wrestling event There, he saw Brett the Hitman Hart and Tom Dynamite Kid Billington, and uh, Dynamite Kid would become one of his biggest inspirations. But Chris immediately fell in love with pro wrestling, and he decided then and there, that's what he was going to do. Three hours away from where Chris lived, there was a really prestigious pro wrestling training academy that was ran by Brett the Hitman Hart's father, Stu. It was called the Hart Family Dungeon, and Chris began training there when he was only 15 years old. In 1985, when he was 18, he began wrestling for Stampede Wrestling in Canada. He went under the name Dynamite Chris Benoit, and they closed in 1989. So he actually went to Japan and wrestled for Japan Pro Wrestling there. He did that as Pegasus Kid or Wild Pegasus. And while he was in Japan, he met a lot of his best friends and future co-workers, uh, Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, all of them. It was apparently really common to um, go train in Japan. So in 1992, he returned to the States and he wrestled for World Championship Wrestling, which is WCW, mm-hmm. for about a year before he went back to Japan and wrestled for Extreme Championship Wrestling, or ECW. While he was in ECW, he earned the nickname the Canadian Crippler in this really famous incident where he accidentally broke another wrestler named Sabu's neck. Um, they came out afterwards and they said Sabu, I don't want to say like did it to himself, but the injury was because he twisted a certain way. Oh, um, gotcha. yeah. So Chris Benoit didn't, didn't do it, but he, you know, did it. Right. Um, it, was an, it was an accident. Yeah. From 1995 to 2000, he worked for WCW again. This time he was part of a tag team called the Four Horsemen, 
which was Chris Benoit, Ric Flair, Art Anderson, and Brian Pillman. Um, during this time, he became known for a feud between him and Kevin Sullivan, who was actually a booker for WCW. Um, question. Uh, I yeah. know I do wrestling, but what the fuck is a booker? <laughs> okay, so we all know like pro wrestling is scripted. Right? I hate when people yeah. say it's fake because it's scripted, but it's real athleticism. They're well, really yeah. doing all these moves, but... A booker is the person who writes those scripts. So they decide who wins. And basically their job is to like keep it entertaining. Um, Well, Kevin Sullivan, the guy that he had the, you know, feud with, he had a valet named Nancy Sullivan, who was his real life wife. And her stage name was woman. Okay. um, Wait, Um, a valet. (laughs) So in wrestling, a valet they don't actually even have them anymore in pro wrestling, but basically it was just like a really hot girl whose entire job was to get the crowd hyped up and to kind of like feed into the script. Okay. Of whatever was going on. At first I was like, what does parking cars have to right. do with wrestling at all? Like I, yeah. I remember wrestling, but I didn't remember these terms. My God. All right. Yeah. Continue. They were just like <laughs> hot girls who got people hyped up. And then if they were really good at it, they could become wrestlers. Like that's actually what China did. Yeah. Right. I remember China. I looked up to yeah. China. Um, yeah, same. She was She's one of my fun. favorites and <laughs> she kicked ass. <laughs> for real. She was part of DX for a while. But oh, yeah. that's right. Okay. Yeah. So Kevin Sullivan, he was one of the writers. He thought it would be funny to write into the script that Chris Benoit would like take his wife from him and he had all these weird little inserts where they would be like laying in bed together in a hotel room and Chris Benoit would be like ha, I'm sleeping with your wife well jokes on Kevin Sullivan because Chris Chris Benoit did steal his wife stop it stop it keep in mind Chris Benoit was married at the time both he and Nancy left their spouses though for each other um Chris left WCW and went to WWF, which was the World Wrestling Federation. They later changed their name to WWE or the World Wrestling Entertainment. So it is an important note that when they changed their name, they rebranded heavy into that entertainment aspect of it. So because it was entertainment, they didn't have to follow the same safety rules as like professional athletes and professional sports, meaning... They weren't following safety rules. They weren't drug testing. It was a huge loophole for them to basically do whatever the fuck they wanted. Okay. While he was with WWE, Chris wrestled with a tag team called the Radicals, and he became famous for using three moves. The Crippler Crossface, which is basically like him getting someone into the crook of his arm and making them tap out. The Diving Headbutt, which is exactly what it sounds like. He would literally jump off the ropes and just headbutt people. Um, And then there was this one move where it was three rolling German suplexes. He became known for being very technical and very high impact, despite being of a smaller stature. He was kind of a short guy. Um, In February of 2000, Nancy Sullivan gave birth to her and Chris's son, Daniel Benoit. And then seven months later, her and Chris got married. Um, So they they got married after they had their son. Um, Okay, yeah. Chris was experiencing a lot of professional success, so he left the Radicals and began wrestling with Chris Jericho, which um, during one of these matches, he got really seriously injured to the point that he needed neck surgery and he had to take a whole year off of pro wrestling. So maybe because of the year off, maybe because of whatever, in 2003, 
Nancy filed for divorce from Chris and also filed for a restraining order, but she ended up retracting both of those and they kind of decided to try and work things out. Okay, do we do we know why? So, like I said, I don't know if it's the whole taking a year off. I, I It is suspected that he was heavily using steroids to, like, get back into prime shape. But I can't really find what Nancy said other than other people around them were saying, like, he was being aggressive, unreasonable, irritable, things like that. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, that's, this only got worse because in 2005, Chris suffered a devastating loss when his best friend, who... Remember, as someone he's known since he was 18 years old wrestling in Japan, Eddie Guerrero, mm-hmm. uh, unexpectedly passed away at only 38 years old. This loss changed who Chris was just fundamentally as a human being. Um, Eddie's widow would say that she would find Chris laying in their bed on Eddie's pillow, sobbing hysterically. He couldn't go on tour anymore. He couldn't wrestle anymore. He felt like he couldn't exist in this world without his best friend. Um, Nancy got him a journal to try and channel some of that grief into, mm-hmm. and he actually started writing letters to Eddie. Um, I want to note, though, Chris Benoit was not a religious individual, but Eddie was. He gifted Chris a Bible, and after Eddie's death, Chris began carrying it around with him everywhere. Just keep the keep the aspect of that Bible in mind. Okay. The following year, which was 2006, Chris began experiencing a lot of paranoia. He began driving different cars, driving upwards of 30 different routes to get to the same exact places that he always drove, like the gym. He told people that he felt like he was being watched or being followed. Everyone around him described him as being very irritable, very angry, very paranoid. Um, so just from that, what what does this bring up in your mind immediately? Oof, there's a few different things. Um, depression, some schizophrenia. There could be, um, I know he is a wrestler, um, could be CTE symptoms. There's a lot. There's definitely a lot, especially with doing the different, you know, 30 different routes to get to the same place. Definitely exhausting, heavy paranoia. Um, yeah. Irritable and angry. There's There's definitely quite a few symptoms there's there. a lot going on yeah and it's mm-hmm. kind of one of those things where it will be a theme throughout this episode but it's difficult to distinguish from his personal life and things that could potentially be symptoms of a brain injury yeah so on friday june 22nd of 2007 chris was at home with his family in their fayetteville georgia home he had a little barbecue with his son daniel by the pool it was a good day um The following day, Saturday, June 23rd, 2007, at 3 p.m., Chris called Chavo Guerrero, which, so his best friend, Eddie, that was his nephew. Um, Okay. He told him that he'd overslept, and he missed the flight he was supposed to be on to Beaumont, Texas, for a wrestling event. Chavo just felt like the entire phone call was sort of odd, though. Uh, He called Chris back, and Chris told him that Nancy and Daniel had both gotten very sick. And he ended that conversation by telling Chavo that he loved him, which he said was super unusual and definitely put, like, a, a weird taste in his mouth. Okay. A female co-worker called to check on them a little bit later, and Chris told her that his family was just getting more and more sick. Uh, at this point, Nancy was throwing up blood, and he thought he was going to have to take her into the hospital. Early the next morning, uh, Sunday, June 24th of 2007, five text messages were sent out from Chris and Nancy's phones that gave their address to people. 
and gave them instructions on how to get into their house. Like, put the dogs here and then come in the side door. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of thing. That night, Sunday night, that was the night of a Vengeance WWE Championship. It was a huge event, and Chris was actually scripted to win a match against CM Punk and be crowned the WWE Champion. So when he no-showed to the event, it raised some flags. Yeah. Uh, once this happened, and then once the word about those weird text messages got that got sent out, got out, WWE called the police and asked them to do a welfare check on the Benoit family. Police arrived, and they found Chris Benoit's neighbor outside the house. He had two very large German shepherds, and the neighbor was trying to, like, corral them, basically. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> right. She told the police she hadn't seen the family in, like, three to four days, but she mentioned that she dog set for them frequently, so she knew how to get into the house. She knew where the animals belonged and all that stuff. So the police said, hey, since these animals are, you know, big and scary, and they're familiar with you... Why don't you get them put away and then we'll go in and search? Yeah. Which I, it strikes me as odd, but it happened. But and, um, I mean, so to be fair, um, I have a German Shepherd lab. She's all German Shepherd except for her floppy ears. Um, <laughs> if someone were to come into this house, I 100% would be safer to for someone that knew her to grab her than a random police officer. And I guess at this point, they don't know it's a crime scene, so... Right, because you don't know. The dogs are just loose, like... So I do understand why they're like, hey, grab the dogs just in case. That makes sense, especially being a German Shepherd owner. That's true. So she went in and went to go put the dogs away, but, I mean, minutes later, ran out screaming that Daniel was deceased. Um, The police entered the home, were immediately hit with a smell of decomposition, and they... Horrifically, they found the bodies of all three members of the Benoit family. Um, With some investigation, it has since, you know, we've been able to determine that what happened is Saturday evening after that little barbecue with Daniel, Chris and Nancy got into some altercation and it resulted in him restraining her arms and legs with duct tape. He then placed his knee into the middle of her back and for leverage, essentially, and he used a telephone cord uh, to strangle her. Okay. Um, yeah, he then wrapped her body in a towel and placed her on the floor, laying a Bible next to her remains, and she would stay there for the next three days. Autopsy results found hydrocodone, Xanax, and hydromorphone in her system, but they were all prescribed to her and they were all found in therapeutic levels, so she wasn't abusing drugs. Okay. His son Daniel's exact time of death is unknown. Uh, He was strangled in his bed. He was found face down. Um, He was also found to have Xanax in his system. It's a theory that he was strangled maybe in the crook of his father's arm because he didn't have any bruising around his neck. No ligature marks, nothing like that. Right. Um, There was a Bible next to his body as well. And I find this very interesting, but there was a knife found underneath his bed. Okay. He was not stabbed. Um. I, to me, maybe this was part of the paranoia. Maybe this was premeditation. Um, I, I find that super interesting. He was a small child, so it's not like, oh, it accidentally landed there. Unless he was afraid of his dad and wanted to protect himself. Could be very true. It's, you know, it's very horrific that we'll never know. Right. But right. I, I found that interesting. Um, I do also quickly want to mention, there's a multitude of rumors about Daniel um, that he suffered from fragile X syndrome. He was dwarfed for his age. 
uh, that he was found with track marks. None of that is actually true. If you go through and read his autopsy reports, uh, he was a perfectly healthy boy. It's also a rumor that he was been, being given steroids or human go- human growth hormone, and none of that was found in his system either. Okay. The only thing that was interesting or unusual in his toxicology report was the Xanax, um, which uh, we've talked a little bit about, you know, familicide on our podcast before. Yeah. If a parent is going to attempt to compassionately kill a child, it's not unusual to try and make sure that they're comfortable. Correct. Yep. Um, Police found wine in beer bottles throughout the crime scene, which led them to believe that Chris may have been intoxicated while committing these crimes. Um, One of the most interesting things about this scene, in my opinion, is that Chris had actually made Google searches over the weekend for Bible prophet Elijah in resurrection of a dead boy. Uh, And he also searched for the easiest way to break your own neck. The resurrection of a dead boy gives me that gives me goosebumps. Right. I was just thinking the same thing. It just that paired with the Bibles really makes me question if he was going through some religious psychopathy right there at the end. Yeah. Um, Sometime on Sunday, Chris went down to his basement and he made a makeshift noose out of a lat pull down machine cable. Uh, He set the weight of the machine to 240 pounds tied a towel, one end around his neck, one end around the machine, and then he released the weights, which did kill him instantly. Oh, my God. Yeah. Chris was also found to have Xanax, hydrocodone, and hydromorphone in his system, again, all at therapeutic levels. He did have a huge amount of testosterone in his system. That Um, explains some things. Okay. The doctor that was prescribing them to him was giving him 10 month supplies every four weeks. Jesus. Right. Um, no suicide note was found at the scene, but a box of Chris's things were mailed to his ex-wife and the mother of his other two children. Um, they found a note in a Bible in Chris's handwriting that said, I will be leaving Earth soon. Okay. So one thing that I feel like is so important is the bible i mean he wasn't religious but his friend that died was mm-hmm. um oh and the suicide note or what may be a suicide note being found in a bible bibles being placed next to the remains of his son and his wife yep so not cool. himself interestingly right so i mean he staged their deaths their deaths were a ritual their deaths was something for him to complete Right. Whether it was a sacrifice or wherever his mind was, those Bibles were a ritual for him. I just wonder, you know, we've talked, we've talked before about, you know, the forensic psychology of murders and things like that. And I find it very interesting. Um, I kind of wanted to get your take on this as well, but the fact that he committed both of the murders while they were not looking at him. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that, you know, he did give his son Xanax, presumably to calm him down or to make sure he was comfortable while it was occurring. It's almost like he felt like this was something he had to do, but he didn't want to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, so when you kill someone and they're not, you're not looking at them, um, A, he's already, I know this sounds very weird and kind of contradictory considering the crime, but when someone 
make sure the body is placed comfortably. They'll wrap up the body. They'll dig them in a proper grave with flowers or even like a little marking of the grave site. That shows remorse and empathy, which is very hard to understand. Like, how can you have remorse and empathy for a crime that you just committed? You're clearly cold hearted. It's not as black and white when it comes to things like that. Now that you mention it, I also, I believe that Nancy was not dressed and he did wrap her in a towel afterwards as well to like almost like protect her to protect her right that's very common so and it's very common too in a state of psychosis um yeah i feel like we keep mentioning her so i guess we're going to do an episode on her but andrea yates yeah killed her children but then wrapped them up yeah it was this exactly it was a display of empathy it was a display of i love them this was for the best interest and this is a familicide. So the fact that they weren't looking, he probably did it because something in his mind was saying they need to die for the better good. Whatever that better good was, religious or not, likely to be religious based off of, um, yeah. you know, based off of the Bibles being placed, but also maybe a sacrifice to get his friend back. Or there's some form of psychosis going on and he didn't necessarily want to kill them, but it was the only option to kill them, which is why they weren't looking, which is why they were wrapped up, which is why, you know, the Bibles were there to take them to the good place. So that all kind of falls into place, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely it's an interesting thing. And I don't see many people discussing the religious aspect of their murders, which is, is odd to me, but... Uh, that evening on WWE, Vince McMahon narrated a three-hour-long tribute to Chris Benoit. Uh, initially, they weren't sure what happened, but it is rumored that during that tribute is when he got word that Chris was the, sus- the suspect. Um, yeah. The following night, he went back on stage and he essentially told the police... What? The following night, he did go back on stage and essentially said that um, they'd ran the tribute before they knew Chris's involvement. And ever since then, Chris has been completely blacklisted throughout the WWE. You can't search his name on the app. He's not in the video games. They don't talk about him. They don't rerun his old matches. They just pretend he didn't exist. Yeah, just more Mm -hmm. cover-ups. So you mentioned theories at the beginning beginning of the show that what was going on well, let's, let's hear some of those theories what were what were other people thinking huh, okay so this first theory is the one that i think is the most annoying <laughs> <laughs> it basically 12 hours before the bodies were discovered in the home chris's wikipedia page was edited to say that he had been replaced in that vengeance match um the post came from stanford connecticut which is a suspiciously close to wwe headquarters mm-hmm. which of course led all the conspiracy theorists to think that wwe knew what happened before the police did it's this huge thing online and people have pulled up all the timestamps and blah 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 blah. but it was a 19 year old troll who was just being a 19 year old troll as they do yep yeah that ha- it didn't have anything to do with it um Another theory, this one is less conspiracy-ish, um, yeah. but another really, really big theory is the steroid use. Um, it used to be a stigma within the WWE that you had to be fucking huge to be famous. You had to be jacked. You had to be super tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I mentioned, Chris Benoit wasn't a big guy naturally, so this, the pressure from WWE, uh, this made anabolic steroids a huge issue. Like I mentioned earlier, there was that weird loophole where technically it was allowed. Right, yep. There were also texts recovered from Nancy's phone where she had told Chris that, you know, steroids are juice is the, what she used. But 
it changed who he was as a person and she had noticed it. Um, anabolic steroids were also found at the scene. So regardless if the steroids were what caused that final event, he was doing steroids. He was right. on them. It probably played a factor in something. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Steroids um, and testosterone, especially testosterone. Um, oh, testosterone yeah. is such an important hormone in the body um contrary to what some people believe females have testosterone it's found in both males and females but it is the dominant hormone found in males that's what makes them hairier that's what gives them the dark voice that's what gives them you know that susception to anger and aggression because overloaded testosterone can give you anger and aggression issues it can give you sexual side effects there's a lot of so to have that much testosterone uh well, Chris's autopsy revealed some pretty devastating things that, in my opinion, clear things up. Um, his heart was twice the size it was supposed to be. Uh, this is allegedly due to drug and steroid use. The medical examiner that performed his autopsy actually said that he, he'd have likely been dead within the next year just because of this alone. Jesus. The other really huge thing that we touched on a little bit earlier that Chris it was found that Chris was suffering from CTE. There it is. Oh, CTE, for those of you who may not be familiar, is chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Yeah, hold on. (laughs) Okay, the other big thing that was found in Chris's autopsy is that he was suffering from CTE. Oh, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Chronic traumatic encephalopathy. (laughs) I can't say that. Encephalopathy. Thank you. Um, his brain was actually analyzed by the Sports Legacy Institute, and they compared it to that of an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient. That, yeah, yep. there it is. That's all For I those of say. you who haven't, I really recommend, we'll post a picture on Instagram as well, but just look at a normal brain compared to a brain that's been affected by CTE. There mm-hmm. is such a marked difference. Very marked difference. Um. CTE is also known as punch drunk syndrome, and it can only be diagnosed after death because, of course, the brain has to be dissected in order to fully understand the ramifications or, you know, how deep the CTE is. Um, This is really devastating because it can completely change who a person is, the way that they act. It gives you symptoms of early onset dementia, irritability, memory loss, paranoia, aggression, all things that kind of like we mentioned earlier could this be grief could this be mental illness right could it, it could be anything when in reality probably what was causing it is the fact that his brain was decayed and cte is given um or i wouldn't say given but the way you get cte is continuous concussions to the brain and continuous swelling of the brain that's how it starts that's why um, huh, something about you... flying headbutts comes to mind yeah who would have thought that banging your head i mean it's said that over like 50% of NFL players are going to die with CP, uh, CTE. There was um, a documentary I watched with CTE where NFL players had a high rate of suicide at such a young age. And that's when CTE started to become an issue was because they're like, hey, their brains are very swollen. What is going on? And that's when, you know, CTE got its name. That's when it was de- and now looking back on other events, it makes sense. Yeah. Like you mentioned, it is most common in professional athletes in contact sports with repetitive brain trauma. Interesting that you gave that statistic about NFL players because I did some research and found that 
In 2017, a study found that 99% of analyzed brains of professional NFL players had some stages of CTE. Yep. Of course, the most famous case of CTE is Aaron Hernandez. Yes, because with CTE comes, you know, anger and aggression. And those are two very important uh, traits to have if you're going to commit a violent crime. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where that's why a lot of NFL players are abusive. And I'm not excusing it. I don't think I think if you abuse your wife, you should not be in the NFL. Um, but the fact of the matter is that that's that's why it's so rampant. That's why um, it's suggested that OJ Simpson had CT or has a CTE. It's suggested that a lot of, you know, Ray Rice, I almost said Ray Lewis, Ray Rice had, um, is likely going to be found with a CTE after he dies. Like there's a lot of those big names of the violent offenders. Mm-hmm. Bingo. And I think it's just, it's a lot more common than we think. Mm-hmm. Um, I distinctly remember I, I used to work in medicine and I was having a conversation with my provider one day, the provider that I was working with, and he um, used to do like educational pieces for us. And he one of the education pieces he gave us was on CTE. And I remember him saying he would never allow his children to participate in contact sports. Yep. It's, I worked I worked in a doctor's office as well, and almost every single one of them did not want any of their children in contact sports. Um, I had one doctor that would give a lecture to anyone that was coming in for, like, physical sign-offs for physical sports. Mm-hmm. Um, she would physically be like, you are at risk for, even if you start this young, you are at risk for CTE. This is the long-term effects. Is this something you want for the rest of your life? Like, it, it was not a joke in the medical community. Right. So this, all of this sort of leaves us with the question of, was Crispin Waugh a cold-blooded murderer? Was he acting irrationally because his brain was diseased? Was this grief? Was this, at the end of the day, we don't know. Um, There have been some changes. So following this tragedy, the WWE made changes to their wellness program. So they banned moves that were inherently dangerous to the head of the wrestler, which, okay, my opinion, should have been the norm the whole time. Right, yeah. They also did ban steroid use. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, Chris Benoit does, like I mentioned earlier, have a living daughter and son from his first marriage. His son, David, is very outspoken about his father and about CTE. Um, he was in the Vice documentary, which I recommend everybody watch. I'm going to leave it in the I believe that there was talk where he was discussing potentially wrestling. He was told from his father's peer group, um, no. Oh, yeah, 100%. I don't, I mean, no. If if I saw someone commit that crime, and I mean, if you ask me, it makes way more sense for the CTE because with CTE comes paranoia, it comes aggression, it comes anger, it comes violence, it comes short fuses it comes irritability there comes all of the things that crisp was exposed to and for his brain to be that of an 85 year old dementia patient i just want you to think about that if you had an 85 year old dementia patient that did this entire crime would you think that they were a cold-blooded murderer or would you be like that brain was fucked yeah exactly it sucks because it sucks is a stupid word to use right there but like it's very tragic because uh, people did lose their lives. 100%. A child lost his life. That's that's horrific. But also, it shows that we need more awareness surrounding CTE, surrounding brain injury. Yep. 
and this being a familicide, um, familicide is the fancy term for when one person kills their entire family, as opposed to filicide, where a parent child kills their child, or parricide, where a child kills their parent. Familicide, that stem word being, you know, family. So when cases like that happen, there is likely going to be the perpetrator is going to have financial issues. They're going to, um, there could be, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There could be jealousy issues. You know, the, you see that a lot, especially on snapped, um, you know, the ID discovery show, you'll see a lot of familicides where the parent kills the entire family because the other parent was going to divorce them and step out. So that could have been very well because Nancy was going to leave and then decided not to. Did he threaten her? Did the threat happen because of the CTE? Um, What was the financials like? But the crime as a whole where um, there was that display of empathy, there was the Bible so that likely he believed that the reason like in his mind, he believed he was doing what was best for his wife and his child, which he wasn't, but he genuinely believed that. And because of that placed, you know, placed their bodies comfortably, wanted to mourn them, wanted to make sure they were comfortable and then gave them the Bible so that metaphorically speaking, they could go to the good place after they died. So it's very, just so tragic. And that poor child having to like, that poor child I can't even and yeah. he's probably scared the knife under his bed I bet you Chris had been acting very weird um, and the child probably knew something was going to happen and wanted to defend himself this is probably a violent household that's so incredibly sad um, like it's it's devastating way, to think either way the case is such a tragedy and there's so much misinformation and so much blaming, both victim mm-hmm. blaming of Nancy and blaming of Chris for things that maybe didn't even happen and just misunderstanding. It's just really convoluted and sad. Right. And that's the hard part when it comes to true crime is the convolution of misinformation of mm. the theories of, oh, my God, it was a conspiracy for the WWE. Was it Nancy Sullivan's first husband, Kevin, that, you know, staged this entire crime scene to make a point you know like just that's just such bullshit and it's so disrespectful to the families this is a tragedy this is tragedy that is likely the consequences of brain damage yeah that doesn't excuse it but when your brain genuinely believes things because it is so damaged from all of the hits and your brain is swollen and looks like an 85 year old dementia patient there's so there's so much wrong with that and just so much wrong with giving misinformation and creating theories that just aren't true yeah well (laughs) well that concludes this episode of dr crime for more information check the podcast description where we link the sources to our information also be sure to follow us on instagram at dr crime pod and leave us leave us a review wherever you stream your podcasts thank you all for listening and we cannot wait for you to join us next week with a special guest Thank you all and have a wonderful day.